Hi, I'm George Anderson, Senior Minister of Second Presbyterian Church, and I'd like to introduce you to today's guest preacher, Rev. Ann Henley Nicholson. Ann Henley grew up with the Second Presbyterian Congregation as her church family. She grew up listening to sermons delivered from the pulpit where she preached the sermon you are about to hear. She is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary. She served as associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and then returned to Princeton Seminary as director of alumni relations. I think after hearing her sermon, you will understand how immensely proud we are of Ann Henley and why we believe she is a gift to the larger church. Friends, will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, may you quiet our minds and still our bodies and our spirits so that we may hear and receive the gift of your good news. It is in your name, in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Listen now for God's word. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Time is funny, isn't it? A lot of life has happened for all of us since I was regularly worshiping God with you in this space. Over the last 20 years, you've accomplished a lot. You've baptized more people, promising to nurture them in their faith and welcome them to this community. You've recently raised significant funds with your Mission Build campaign. You've loved and embraced new pastors before you've lovingly sent them to serve God elsewhere. You've transformed this sacred place so that it ushers you into a new era 
of ministry and ensures the legacy of Jesus's ministry reaches people for generations to come. You've taught countless Sunday school classes and led numerous vacation Bible schools, being faithful to your baptismal vows. You've learned how to live stream worship and connect with each other when it wasn't safe to gather in this sanctuary for church. Yet you never once stopped being the church, finding direction by following Jesus. And I can personally attest your ministry changes lives. There are many other things we could say about time. Time is elusive. Time is a thief. Time is money, says Benjamin Franklin, and time takes it all whether we want it to or not, warns Stephen King. Jim Morrison says the future is uncertain, but the end is always near. So why this talk of time as if it steals and kills? If time is our most valuable resource, why are we spending it rather than investing it in people and activities that bring us life? Is time meant to be punishing? Is it a privilege to consider how we spend our time, or is it a command? According to God, time is sacred. When God creates people and animals, God calls them good. But when God creates the Sabbath, he calls it holy. That's how we're introduced to the Sabbath, to the rest God experiences after six long days of creating the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. When God finishes creating and puts up God's feet and admires the work of God's hands. When God watches the day turn into night and the waters touch the sky. As God listens to the trees and the breeze and observes the shape of their seeds and the size of their fruit. When God glistens in the sun before the darkness arrives with the moon and all her stars. When God beholds the creatures of the sky and the sea and the earth and the people formed in God's very image, who inhabit the world as one of many of God's many good creations. The sheer beauty of it all takes God's breath away and causes God to stop, to look back at God's creation and stop creating for a day, for one whole day, to pause, to admire, to observe and listen and be still, to model Sabbath by practicing it before our very eyes. We creatures need reminders, though. For some reason, we can't stop working. We can't stop worshiping other gods we create rather than worshiping the God who created us. So God takes matters into God's hands and delivers a clear message 
to Moses on Mount Sinai as he delivers the Ten Commandments. And when Moses receives God's commandments and transcribes them on two tablets, it's the Sabbath that connects them. It's the Sabbath that connects God's commands to worship God alone with God's commands to love our neighbor by honoring our parents and not stealing, killing, or coveting. It's the Sabbath that quite literally joins these two tablets together by connecting our Christian calling to love God and each other by honoring God's command to rest. Sabbath brings it all together, which might be why remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is so hard. You see, Sabbath isn't self-care. It isn't bubble baths and massages. It isn't a day spent running errands rather than sending emails. It isn't a day spent busying ourselves with other things we don't normally busy ourselves with during the week. It's a day spent being present with God, ourselves, and the world around us. It's a day spent listening for our own heartbeat before we listen to it on a machine. It's a day spent sitting still long enough to hear ourselves think and feel ourselves feel, to cry for no particular reason and for every possible reason. To stop long enough to check in with God about how we're really doing, being ever attentive to God's work and healing in the world and in our hearts. Sabbath is more than caring for ourselves, it's caring for our souls. It's holy rest. It's sitting outside, listening to the birds of the air and admiring the world God created by accepting God's invitation to rest to rest in the knowledge that God is still at work when we stop working, that God heals when, and especially when, we rest. When Jesus meets a bent-over woman, it's on the Sabbath. It's on the day that the faithful worked tirelessly to refrain from work by adhering to God's command. We don't know much about this woman other than the fact that she's bent over, burdened by an evil spirit that's plagued her for years. We don't know her name. We don't know where she lives. And we don't hear her voice, at least not at first. She doesn't ask Jesus for help. We meet her as Jesus meets her at rest hunched over by all she's been carrying for the last 18 years. So while Jesus is teaching, Jesus notices her and calls out to her. Then he proclaims the good news that she's set free from evil spirits and the baggage she's been carrying on her shoulders these many years. And then something miraculous happens. Jesus lays his hands on her, and she stands up straight. 
Yet while the English translation leads us to believe she stood straight on her own, the Greek says she was straightened. So the hidden gospel truth here is that this bent-over woman is inactive before and during her healing. She's still at rest when Jesus heals her, when she's done nothing but move closer to Jesus upon his command. The only time this woman acts in our story is after Jesus heals her and she begins praising God. That's the closest we come to hearing her voice when we hear her alleluia. Jesus is prone to bend the rules. Some of my favorite Jesus stories involve Jesus turning kingdoms and throwing tables upside down as Jesus reinterprets the law by reorienting our loyalty to God rather than the rules we're trying so desperately to keep. And one of the laws Jesus loves to help us reconsider is the Sabbath. There are 12 separate stories in our Gospels about Jesus' healing. And in each of those stories, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. On the day that's been set aside to refrain from working and adherence to God's command, that's when Jesus heals people. Whether they suffer from a withered hand, an unclean spirit, a fever, or a host of other illnesses, they have endured for years. That's when Jesus heals the bent-over woman in our passage and a few sick people in his hometown. As one of my good friends at Princeton Seminary proclaims, Jesus, Sabbath, and healing simply go together. Jesus is what keeps the Sabbath holy. According to our Christian calendar, we're in a season of ordinary time. Yet you and I know these last few years have been anything but. We had all this time. We had an opportunity to stop and be still. Yet what did we do? We baked bread and organized our pantries and watched Netflix and Zoomed for work and for fun and ate more carbs and drank more wine and washed our groceries and worshipped in our pajamas and somehow we missed an opportunity to breathe. Somehow we're surprised we're exhausted. We're surprised that burnout rates are sky high because it's not only COVID that threatens to kill us. We've been killing ourselves with the busyness of our lives. Friends, the, the truth is, I don't know how you've been spending your time. It's been a minute. So I don't know what's been keeping you up at night or what keeps you captive. I don't know what you're wrestling with or running from that keeps you running. But I do know there's a God who wants to heal you, who wants you to stop long enough for Jesus to set you free.
And the best part about this kind of freedom is that it doesn't come from our action. It's our inaction that counts. It's our inaction that precedes God's actions. That's when Jesus stops what he's doing, calls us to come closer to him, and declares we've been set free from all that weighs us down. That's when Jesus finds bent over people just like us at rest and heals them. That's the gift of holy rest. That's the healing freedom Sabbath provides. The freedom of surrendering our striving to a God who heals every day of the week. Freedom comes when we know we need time with God, so we sit still with God in a sanctuary like this or in another sanctuary of God's creation. Friends, I practiced Sabbath in preparation for this, and I failed. I didn't make it a whole day without doing laundry or without doing research and writing parts of this sermon. But I did sit still with God. I admired the trees and talked to family and friends I hadn't caught up with in a while. I stopped. I paused. I even took a nap. I laid in our hammock and looked up at the sky in awe and wonder. I walked the dog twice. I said some prayers for me, for you, and for our time together. I prayed God would bless this day and that God would set it apart and make it holy. And I listened. I listened to the beat of my own heart as I listened to the kids playing in the street. As I rested, I listened and looked for God at work within and around me. And I was filled with hope and awe and deep gratitude as I uttered my own Alleluia. Church, the freedom of the Sabbath is that for a moment we dispel the myth that we are what we produce. When we breathe in the breath of the Spirit and remember our identity comes not from what we do, but from God's own voice, claiming us and calling us and creating us to rest. That's not only one of God's commandments, but also one of God's promises, that sacred rest is for all of us, that rest is as much for the grasshopper as it is for the one who created it. And what our creator wants from all of us is our time. That's where we encounter Sabbath as a palace in time, as Rabbi Heschel describes it, where we experience time through connection rather than activity. Sabbath is where time suspends and expands, and that's where Jesus finds us stopped in our tracks, being good for absolutely nothing. That's when Jesus heals and frees, when there's nothing we did or could do to make it happen. What a test of humility and faith 
to believe God could heal without our help. Believing God loves us as we lay on our couch or sit on our porch and turn off our phones and do nothing but notice the artistry of cobwebs while we listen to the birds and the kids playing in the street and hear that still, small voice whispering, you are my beloved, you are healed, and you are free. What a gift. And what a grace. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of our souls, may it be so. Alleluia and amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.